0: This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to think about this question, uh, why is it that people try to stand in the way of the way? And and I use the way because what you'll find here in this text, and we've seen it a couple of times in Acts already, is that the um, community of Christians, the early church, by the outsiders was often called the way. Don't you love that? It was called the way. Why? Because they walked the way of Jesus. They they lived the way that that Jesus told them to live. They followed and believed what Jesus said. That I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And they, they knew that and they believed that. And because of that they followed Jesus. What a wonderful thing to be called. People of the way. And yet so often we see today and we'll see here in this text that there are many who try to stand in the way of the way why do they do that what is it that that makes people so opposed to the things of god and not only to the things of god but to the people of god what what is it that 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 causes that And, and there's a short answer to it the devil and sometimes I'm afraid that we take that short answer and we just use the short answer and we skip over real objections and real issues that individuals have that, that we can minister to and talk to and try to reason with them that they could overcome these hindrances. Does that make sense? Let me, let me give you an example. It's not perfect, but, but it, it came to mind as I was thinking about this. Way back when I was like 18, 19... I worked for a season, um, construction. I thought I was going to be a missionary. I figured I needed to build stuff. Um, And and so I I worked construction for a a friend's father. and, And there was this guy that worked on our crew And one day, you know, we'd have a lot of spiritual conversations. And he wasn't really a Christian, uh, but he he had grown up in the church. He had some things. And so we'd have some very engaging spiritual conversations and conversations about Christ. And one day he he picked up his pack of cigarettes and and began to smoke. And he goes, You know, I I hate these things. I don't want to do it, but the devil makes me do it. And I grabbed his cigarettes and I threw them away. (laughs) And I said, Look, I'm more powerful than the devil. (laughs) what I was emphasizing to him is that, yes, their underlying Satan has an influence on our culture and on us. As sinners who under the fall are, are, are we, we sin. I know that's shocking, right? Sinners sin. And sometimes we're shocked that they do. Satan has an influence in that. Ephesians 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. He definitely has an influence. He has an influence in the culture. But we cannot justify and excuse sinfulness and sinful actions and say, oh, it's the devil's fault. Right? Nobody's going to get before the pearly gate. Like, let, I hate this picture, but let's just say it. Right? Nobody's going to get the, before the pearly gates. And, and I, it's always St. Peter that's there. Right? You know? And he's, he's checking people out for some reason. That's really not in the Bible. But okay. We'll, just, we'll keep the picture. Okay? Nobody gets up there and they, they go, well, well, why did you do that? You know, the list is there. What, what, what was this? Oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, you're good then! Come on! No! You see, we can't allow individuals to kind of have that kind of rationalization. And we as Christians... Sometimes, I think, don't really evangelize well or use apologetics in such a way to defend the faith and to interact with people. What's Paul doing everywhere he goes? Remember, it says he's reasoning with them. He's reasoning with them in the synagogues. He's reasoning with them in the marketplace. He's reasoning with them in the hall of Tyrannus that we'll see here. He's reasoning with them. He's he's explaining to them. He's taking the word of God and explaining what the word of God says to individuals. And he's reasoning with them because they have objections. Right? They have objections. And so Paul is reasoning against their objections. Does that make sense? And so in this text today, I want us to see some of these objections and how they're played out in a very, very big way. This text is is the text that documents the riot that takes place in Ephesus. And and I'm not going to read the whole text at once. What we'll do is we'll go through it as we look at the different motivations that we see that individuals have as to why they reject Christ. But but let me just set it up and, and tell you this is... we can't put it it, sometimes we like read about extraordinary events and we're like oh yeah they did that but the reality of it it was huge this was a huge event paul writes in uh, first corinthians and he's probably writing he's probably referencing this because he he writes in first corinthians 15 about how he fought with wild beasts at ephesus And I don't think Paul was out there going after bears and lions. I think what he's talking about is men who are so calloused and so hard and so against the way, so trying to stand in the way of the way, so trying to stop the way, that Paul uses this reference that it was like fighting wild beasts. This is a huge event as these silversmiths rally up the truths and get the whole city in a frenzy. Against the Christians, against those there who had uh, become part of what they call the way. And so, what I want us to see in this text is a lesson that, that I want us to consider, and that is: Why do people stand in the way of the way? Why is it that people reject Christ? And and what is it that gets to a point to where they're so hardened? What are those motivations? And yes, it is the influence of Satan. I would even go so far to say what we just read about in Acts 19 was a day in which the Ephesians, the the people there... Uh, saw the power of God in such a way that they confessed of their sin. Remember, they brought all their magic books and they burned them. And I told you if we took the value that it says there, it's almost like $8 million in today's terms. And so there was a great revival of people changing their hearts and changing their actions. And so there's no doubt that Satan then influences and these people get stirred up and they rise up. But at the end of the day, there are many indicators here there are indicators that we still see of why people stand in the way of the way. And perhaps today, if you're honest, you know that you don't follow Christ. It's very well that one of these reasons might be why. Now you're not leading a riot or a coup. You maybe don't want the church to burn down or go away, but in your own heart, these motivations are the same motivations that keep you from following Jesus as your lord and your savior i want you to consider that today as we look at it there's five things here that i want us to look at is why people would resist why people would oppose the way why they would oppose christ why they would seek to to be against the people of god and the teaching of god and the spirit of god and then there's one um, thing that i want to encourage us with after we look at those so the first is this why do people stand in the way of the way? Why do they oppose Christ? Self-interest. Self-interest. Look at verses 23 through uh, 25 here. Let me read this. It, it begins with an introduction here. Um, it, it, it talks about where, where they're kind of planning to go. Verse 21 um, now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent to Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So, so just kind of a little bit of housekeeping that Luke puts in, okay? This is, this is mission strategy, where kind of Paul wants to go. And then Luke returns back to what's happening here in Ephesus. Verse 23. About that time, this is the end of Paul's time here, about that time, there arose no little disturbance, (laughs) I like the hint, No, no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and he said, men, you know That from the business, we have our wealth. In this passage, what we see is, we we see these silversmiths who make these shrines to the goddess uh, Artemis. and, And it's almost like the guild, okay? The guild of craftsmen in the place of Ephesus. They come together and they begin to stir up this trouble about Jesus. And why? Because people turning to Jesus is hurting the bottom line. Now there's a great thing here, if you think about this too, people are coming to Christ and they want nothing to do with the idols anymore. They're not buying them, they're not selling them, they're not looking at them, they don't care about them, so much that those that make their money off of wickedness and wrongfulness, they're losing money. Oh, if the people of God would stand up and not participate in the wickedness of the world. That's another sermon, I won't. I don't have time to keep going. You can plug it in and finish it later. But, but here's the point. They're, they're realizing that Christianity is a threat to the worship of idols. Because the people are sold out to Jesus, living the way. Now, a little bit of background is helpful to understand what's going on here. I, I put some, some pictures along with this slide. Uh, Artemis was a, a god... Um, Also known as the goddess Diana, and um, she was one of the most powerful divinities in that region, and had been for a long time. They believe that in the past a meteor came and hit Ephesus, and that there's this this magic rock that's in the meteor. That's that's where he talks about in verse thirty-five here, a sacred stone. That, that this meteor came, and because of this meteor, they built one of the seven wonders of the world. The temple to Artemis. It was in Ephesus. And, and it was, you can read from non-biblical uh, accounts about the temple, and it was amazing. It was twice the size of the Pantheon, they said. It was ginormous, and it would bring in itself all kinds of tourism, all kinds of people traveling to the area to see this grand thing, to worship at the temple. And so you can see there was quite an economy built around that, right? We live in a touristy economy. There's there's a lot of tourists that come in. They're naming things after the space program and, and things like that because they're trying to get people to come in. They're trying to make it Space Coast. Come see the, the wonderful nature and the, the, the rockets and all the beauty on the Space Coast, right? Because there's a, there's a great interest there for people to come and to spend money and to enjoy the things that, that we have here. And the same was true here, only it was big business. It was big business. The goddess was all over her trinkets, her idols. I mean, it was a thing to come and get and take home into worship. She was the goddess of fertility. There's a there's a picture of one of the the idols there. She was a, a goddess of fertility, and so um, that that day in that age was primarily agricultural. So if you want your crops to grow, if you want your cows to reproduce, if if you want that kind of um, fruitfulness in your life. You better get one, right? Take one home. We got a special one for you. You want a silver one? Pay more. Get a better one. You'll probably get a bigger blessing. You can just see them selling them on the streets, right? Little carts full of these little trinkets and idols. The coin of the region had the goddess on it. And so you can see how it was so much a part of the economy. And the people who promoted this, the the, the people who were were promoting and making the items and selling the trinkets, they were getting quite wealthy because it was very popular. They had quite a shtick going. You you notice here, they're not really worried that the great goddess Diana is being profaned. They're not worried that people are worshipping Jesus and not worshipping Diana. No! They're not buying our junk. Right? That's that's it. It's self-interest. It's the self-interest. The silversmiths are concerned for their own pockets, for their own wealth, for their own business. They had seen evidences of the power of Jesus through the Spirit, the works of Paul, and in the lives of people. You know how they knew it? Because their pocketbooks are hurting. They knew that Jesus was changing lives. And instead of thinking about those claims, they only thought of themselves. It is amazing the power of the idol of money, isn't it? Not just then, but today. How many people do you know the things that they would do, the immoral actions that they would take, even people who would call themselves Christian, that would depart from the faith, For a few extra dollars in their pocket. And so what we see so often. When we talk with individuals about salvation. When we see individuals rise up against the things of faith. Reject the gospel. So often what it is. It's an issue about self-interest. I'm looking out for number one. And we're trying to tell you about who number one is. Jesus. So we see that here. The Bible tells us about this. Jesus tells us about this. Mark 8, 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? Don't don't go to hell because you chased money on earth. Second, the second motivation we see why people oppose the way is stubbornness. Stubbornness. Verse 26. Let me read it for you. And you see and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only to this trade, but ours may come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and no one will come visit it. Uh, and that she may be disposed of her magnificence in all of Asia and the world worship. You know, it's interesting. Paul stays in Ephesus, if you track um, here in Acts. He stays in Ephesus almost three years. Almost three years. It's one of the, the longest places that Paul stays. Think about the things that we've read about here that's happened in Ephesus. That God has done, that he has revealed to the people of Ephesus. First... You have Apollos, right? He's the preacher with the golden tongue. He comes to Ephesus first. He begins the church there in Ephesus. He's the one that could preach and peel the paint off the walls. He was a mighty man of God with with an incredible power to teach the scriptures. But he still didn't know everything about the resurrection. He didn't know everything about the Spirit, about being baptized. He hadn't been privileged to that yet. So Paul comes and he's got a group of people that are anticipating Jesus. They know some things about Jesus, but they haven't yet received the Spirit. They haven't yet uh, come to Christ, but they're ready. Because Apollos has primed it. And so Paul begins to preach. They receive the Spirit. A visible sign is given showing that they have received the Spirit now. And incredible things happen. You continue on. The people receive the Holy Spirit. Paul teaches in the synagogue for three months, it says. He goes to the synagogue every day for three months. And he reasons with them. And they're listening. And people from the Jewish faith are coming. And they're accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And their lives are being transformed. But then there becomes some opposition there in the synagogue so paul just keeps on going it says that he continued for two years and then he taught in different places he taught in the hall of Tyrannus. we're not exactly sure what that is but it seems as though there was a place that was rented or a place that every day that they could gather where where it was just hey come listen to this guy he's teaching about jesus and the resurrection and people were coming and great things were coming Paul was working the whole time. He was was still laboring to make tents to to pay for himself while he was there. And people were taking his sweat rags. Remember this? People are taking his sweat rags and his aprons. And because of the power of what Paul has, the, the faith that they have, if you just take this, maybe God will heal you. And God is working through that. Incredible things are happening. And then these no good, dirty, rotten scoundrels, these faith healers come to town, right? The sons of Scevia. Remember that? Seven sons of Scevia come to town and they see what Paul's doing and they're thinking man, if we could put this into our act, oh, this would be fantastic. You Remember this story? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. So they, they decide that they're going to heal a man with a demon. And they go up to this man with a demon and they go, be healed in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. They didn't know about Jesus. They didn't believe Jesus. They didn't love Jesus. But the Jesus that Paul preaches... And the demon man, instead of being healed, got up and whooped them, and they run out of the house naked. <laughs> Remember this. Acts eighteen or nineteen, just above this, and, and so what happens is the people see this. They see the power of God. They see the power of the gospel. They see the proclamation of Christ, and they are personally convicted. So that they go and they repent of all their wickedness. They bring together all of their books of sorcery, all of their wickedness, and they burn it instead of selling it. It's quite expensive, quite valuable, but they have had uh, they've had a spiritual awakening in their own hearts. God is worthy. The name of Jesus is being spread. The town of Ephesus is changing. Shouldn't we expect then that Satan's going to stir up some trouble? Right? And and that's what we see. But in light of all of this, in light of that testimony, and and the silversmiths and the tradespeople, they saw this. This is what they're talking about. People are changing. They're saying that our God's not a God. If, we don't, if, if that happens, uh, uh, nobody will come to Ephesus. Nobody will buy our stuff. What are we going to do? This is horrible. This is awful. How sad it is that someone can see and experience the power of God all around them, that, that someone could, could hear the gospel time after time after time that, that somebody can be ministered to and loved on and reasoned with and prayed for and yet they're still so hard-hearted that they reject everything you know sometimes we get this idea that god if you just show someone a miracle they'd believe in you and these people saw miracles and yet they were remained hard extremely hard the miracle that people need is the miracle of the new birth that's what we pray for god would you change their heart would you take out of them a heart of stone that despises you and place in them a heart of flesh that loves you would you give them the new birth would you make them born again would you regenerate them change them that's our prayer and that's what we hope because that's the only way that anyone can overcome the stubbornness of rejecting god So we see this stubbornness here. It reminds me of John 3. I already gave away the goods. I got so excited. John 3 where Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must be born again. Have you been born again? Third. The third reason why people oppose Christ, why they oppose the way, that we see here in this text. That so often we see is superstition. Superstition. Look at verse 28. When they heard this. They were enraged. And they began crying out. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They began to chant this for hours on end. Why? Because they're superstitious. Superstition is a belief or practice resulting from ignorance or the fear of the unknown a trust in magic or chance or a false conception of causation right so we've got a a few examples up there don't look in the the broken mirror don't walk under a ladder don't if the the black cat walks how many of you turn around if you saw a black cat walk walk across the street before you go to drive down it my grandpa would do that it was more of a joke but he'd do it every time it always made me laugh as a kid right um all of these things that we have and and some people are incredibly superstitious um i played football with a kid that wouldn't change his socks the entire season it wasn't just superstitious it was annoying like it was torture for everybody else okay but what we see here is is superstition the religion of false gods the Taking on of things that aren't true, the worshiping of idols. Hey, these guys, listen to this. These guys are mad because the very things that they carve and they make, people aren't worshiping. As though God needs to be made with your own hands and then worshiped. The Bible makes that point over and over and over again. They're, they're, they're superstitious. And the reality of it is, is that, that people are superstitious. It might not be a black cat type thing, but there are, there, the Bible tells us of all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of teaching, all kinds of worldviews, all kinds of things that beyond any kind of reality, beyond any kind of truth of God, people will believe to the very end. You think I'm crazy? We're literally talking about men having babies in our culture today. Do you see how that works? I'm saying superstition here. You could say worldview. Worldview would fit in that. How they think, what philosophies govern them. Here, these people were were trapped in a philosophy and in a religion that was untrue, that was false, that you could easily look at and realize. They, they weren't worried about, they, they didn't notice, they don't pray to their goddess saying, dear goddess who is great and wonderful, get rid of these Christians because we know you have, one, you, you have excellent power. No, it's their job to defend the goddess because she ain't real. Do you get that? We have to remember... Sinners are trapped in a godless world. They're trapped in a, a godless influence they worship creation, they worship crystals, they worship sports, they worship celebrities, they worship astrology, they worship false gods. And all of this is superstitious because they do not know and understand the one true God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, who paid for sin, who rose from the dead, and if who we trust and follow and walk along the way, we will be saved. It's easy for us to just look and say the devil's fault friends as we reason with people we've got to reason with the superstitions we've got to reason with the worldviews, we've got to reason with the false narratives and the false lies that people have come to believe that have them trapped that we can show them the glory and the goodness of jesus christ the gospel that's revealed through the word of god that they too might be freed as we once were And that they would be saved. That they would be, as Romans 12, 2 says, renewed, transformed by the renewal of their minds. All right, I think I'm on four. Sensationalism. Sensationalism. Why do people oppose Christ? Sensationalism. Look at verse 29. We see this here. So the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater dragging with them Gaius and Archaeus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when, then when Paul wished to go among the crowd, the disciples would not let him go. And even some of the, the Archaeus who were the friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them didn't even know why they'd come together. Verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Two hours! You know... People as individuals are amazing. The the capabilities that God has given us. The the abilities of the mind. The abilities of creativity. The abilities of expression. We are made in the image of God. And it is beautiful and wonderful to see the things that individuals can do. People in a group are stupid. It's amazing how all of those abilities can disappear really quick when they're riled up together, isn't it? They they become foolish really fast, and that's what we see here in this text. You know, psychology has a whole field that they study that's called crowd psychology. It's called crowd psychology. Why can someone yell fire in a theater and people be trampled and die? There was never a fire. We, we see this. We, we study and see how individuals, when they're part of a large group, their behavior and their decision-making becomes influenced not by their own rational understanding and observation of the facts, but it becomes based upon what the group says. Group think. We live in a day and an age where groupthink has become more easy to access and more popular than ever before. Everybody is a social media warrior. Everybody has a cause that they're gonna uh, could go for, and, and and it's really easy. I, it's really easy to find people that are worked up about the weirdest things and get them together, isn't it? Right? Like <laughs> you could have the weirdest hobby. You could have the weirdest thing that you're worried about. You can find a million people on the internet that are worried about that. You couldn't meet ten of them in your own town. And then it begins to empower, and it begins to build, and there's confusion and confusion, and then somebody kind of gets it together, and the next thing you know, you're yelling out for two hours. Great is Artemis, the God of the Ephesians. Sensationalism. Sensationalism. We see this in how individuals reject Christ. It seems cool to reject Christ. It seems cool to do the things that you want to do to live out your own desires and your own passions. And it's easy to find other people that want to do that. And and you band together with wicked influences upon yourself, right? Moms, dads, you see this, right? Your kids start hanging with the wrong crowd. Pretty soon your kids are doing the wrong things. And so it is that people will come together and reject Jesus so that they look like everybody else, they think like everybody else, they're accepted by everybody else. And because of a desire to please the senseless, ridiculous, foolish crowd, you reject Jesus at your own eternal cost. Matthew 13, Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But those who enter it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Get out of the crowd, think for yourself. Think about the claims of Christ, about the gospel of Christ, about the love of Christ, that you might come to know Christ be part of that group that walks through the narrow great, narrow gate on the way to heaven not that goes speeding down the super highway to hell last objection that we see here scapegoating scapegoating pointing the finger right verse 35 when the town clerk had quiet the crowd he said men of ephesus Who is there who does not know the city of the Ephesians, the the temple of the great Artemis, the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. Well, they're probably quiet now because they ain't got no voices. Verse 37. For you have brought these men here that are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen and With him, have a complaint against anyone. Let the the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are in real danger of being charged with rioting today. Let me tell you something. Let me interject here, real quick. Rome don't play when it comes to uprisings. That's how Rome ruled. Rome was so wonderful, they would come in and they would conquer you. They would destroy you. Greatest army on the earth of the day. They would demolish you until you surrendered. And then they would say, we love you so much. We're going to help you keep the peace. Just pay us taxes. And they survived on that tax money and you paid exorbitantly for their protection. And they didn't play when it came to riots. They didn't play. And so this is why they're rioting. He's like, guys, you've got to calm down. It shall be settled in the regular assembly. Verse 44, we are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said this, said these things, he dismissed the assembly. You know, overall, what's going on here is that they 're coming together and they' they're having all these blames and, and everything is everything's the christian's fault it's the christian's fault it's the it's the christian's fault there's no rational thought to what Jesus is doing and and, and it's interesting the the leader here he comes and he says he says, he says these guys really aren't taking this on Paul Paul taught one-on-one paul taught in the synagogue paul taught in the the hall of tyrannis but but paul didn't go and organize a group to stand before the temple and protest paul taught to change the hearts of the people and when the, the people began to know the gospel then then they no longer had a desire for the debauchery that happened at the temple of artemis they no longer had a desire to worship the things that came out of the temple of Artemis. They had no longer had a desire to live in the worldview that was ruled by the goddess Artemis. Do you, do you see that? And that's what he's saying. He's saying there, you, we have no grounds for this kind of commotion. You need to go away. And, and the reality of it is, is that so often Christians are the ones that are pointed out, and Christians are the ones that are blamed. Christians are the ones, it's your fault, it's your rules, it's your righteousness. And Christians are the most loving people that have ever existed on the face of the earth. You think about where hospitals came from. You think about where education came from. You think about where the Bill of Rights came from. All of these things came out of the church. All of these things came out of people who loved Jesus and wanted to show the love of Jesus. And still today, Christians don't form armies. Christians don't take you captive. Christians love you. The the way you come to Jesus is is on your own. And all we can do is love you and and tell you the gospel and and tell you the truth and and, and ask you that you you would confess and commit and follow Jesus. And yet the world points fingers. Not long after this, something's going to happen in Rome. In AD 64, a fire breaks out in Rome. It burned, the city, it burned the city for six days. It destroyed much of the city. Now, the rumors are that Nero himself started this fire because he wanted to burn down the slums to rebuild it. But when it got out of control and it, it went as a larger blaze than what he expected... Nero made a scapegoat. He said it was the Christians that did it. It was those Christians. And that opened up the great persecution to the church. He thought, well, maybe I can get out of this, and I can kill the Christians too. But you know what happened when he tried to get in the way of the way? The church has never experienced a faster, more passionate growth than it did during those years of persecution. That leads us to our last point. How do we respond? Well, with steadiness. You can't stand in the way of the way. See him trying? Come on, that's hilarious. People getting ran over with little kids by power wheels. They're trying to stand in the way of the way. (laughs) You you can't do it. Uh, Look at Paul's response. Uh, Go to to chapter 20. Look Look at the first verses here in chapter 20. Verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said his farewell and departed for Macedonia. He just kept on keeping on. He goes to Macedonia, and he's not deterred one bit. He continues to preach the gospel. He continues to tell people of God, the man's wickedness, Christ, what he did on the cross, and the response that's necessary to trust in Jesus. And become part of one that walks the way. He just keeps on. Why? Because God has promised, God has said that that this is the commission that he wants. that, That he is with us until the end of the age. As we go and we make disciples from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. The Bible tells us in two places that before the throne of God. That wonderful song that we sang Before the throne of God, at the end of time, there will be gathered before that throne people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every place, every land, every color. That's the way. That's God's promise. And God will keep his promise. No matter how Wicked the world becomes. No matter how much the 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 wickedness of the world and people try to stand in the way of the way, they're they're just going to be like this. They're going to get ran over by the power wheels. (laughs) Because God's promise will come true, His truth will prevail, and His gospel will be proclaimed by His people. Amen. Let me wrap it up. I I hope after seeing this, I I hope you see these motivations. I, I hope that this helps again. It's really easy just to say, "Yes, this is Satan's influence," and it is. But as we talk with individuals and we minister to them and we love them and we pray for them, identify these things. Identify these things that are keeping them. Try to talk to them about these things. Is it your love of money? Are you afraid that if you follow Jesus, you'll miss out on something? Because the the life that you would have in following Christ will be far more enjoyable. It'll be far more fulfilling than trying to protect wickedness and power and money. Why why are you so hard against the gospel? Why are you so stubborn against the gospel? What is it about God? Is there something in your past? Was there an event? Was there something? Oh, this happened and you're angry at God about it. Well, let's talk about why that happened. Let's talk about Romans 8, that God says that all things work together for the good that those who love Christ and called according to his purpose. Can you see how that event changed your life and how God could be using what you learned in that event to help you and protect you and shape you? You see that? All of these objections, all of these things that, that, that people get riled up and keep them away from following Christ are just ways that we can begin to engage them and pray for them if we think about it. If you're a believer today, I hope that seeing these motivations help you to think through it. I hope that it helps you to endure. I hope that in hard times, you realize we just keep on keeping on. We trust in God's word, we trust in God's promises, and we know that he will prevail no matter what we face. If you're not a believer, what are these motivations are keeping you from Christ? Today, would you overcome that? Would you Come to trust in Christ as your Savior, He will receive you. He will forgive you. Perhaps you've been, you know the gospel, but you've been living in a way that doesn't glorify it. Repent today and trust in Him. He will forgive you and cleanse you, and you can get back on the way the way of following Jesus. All of us, this is a good verse to remind us of this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. We all need God's grace. We all need God to break down our hardness, to break down our objections, to overcome Satan's influence in our lives, that we would know and love and honor and glorify Christ. Would you do that? Pray with me. Father.